1: Welcome to another edition of Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut. Glad to have all of you with us. Um, It's another one of those days when we have so much to talk about and such a good panel to discuss the issues with. I want to get right to introducing them. It's Wednesday, which means that my partner from the AJC is Greg Bluestein, political reporter, uh, who never stops um, writing about politics in Georgia, uh, uh, Bluestein, um, uh, uh, Rick Dent, who I'm going to introduce in a minute, uh, said that uh, he figured we'd talk about about 14 stories today that you have posted just in the last couple of days. <laughs> but... Welcome to the show well, Greg.
2: Thank you. It's been very busy and also busy in our personal lives back at home with all the stuff our kids are doing I, and all. The we stuff Greg, going on here.
1: and you know what? Let's take it personal. Let's take a moment to give you something a, a personal shout out. Your daughter, you're a proud dad. Uh your daughter is playing Belle in a summer camp production of the musical Beauty and the Beast. As the dad of a now grown theater kid, I uh, know exactly how it feels, Greg.
2: <laughs> Bill, our dads would call it Nachas, which is pride in, uh, in Yiddish and Hebrew. And we're very excited uh, that, she, yeah, she's going to be Belle. She's the lead of the play at the JCC's <laughs> production on Friday. So uh, I will not be writing 15 stories on Friday. I'll be watching her play. Right. We can
1: practice it all <laughs> week. Yeah, well, very exciting. Uh, be careful, though. My daughter is literally now traveling the world. Uh, in, on a br- off-Broadway show that's on tour, and uh, it's exciting for her. We don't see her as much as we'd like to. Uh, we're also joined by emeritus professor Alan Abramowitz of Emory University. I think you all know by now that one of uh, uh, the reasons that Alan is so well-known in the field is that he uses data uh, to do predictive analysis of election races. You read him in Larry Sabato's Crystal Ball with some regularity, uh, and, Ellen, we always love having you on the show. Thanks for being here. Glad to be with you, but I have to
3: tell you, I predicted that the National League would win the All-Star Game, so.
1: Oh, you mm-hmm. did? Oh, well. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. You're 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 entitled to one mistake every now and then. Rick Dent's back with us. Um, we're glad to have him. Rick's the uh, vice president of Matrix Communications, which is a firm that does government relations work. And uh, Rick does political consulting as well. In an agnostic way, um, we should point out, Rick, that you've represented both Republican and Democratic uh, candidates in in elections over the years. Uh, and uh, we should also mention that you were the communications director back when Zell Miller was governor. Thanks for being here today, Rick. Oh, absolutely. Looking forward to it. We are going to welcome a brand new panelist today that I'm really thrilled uh, we are going to be able to do. Uh, professor Kendra king uh professor of political science at Oglethorpe uh, University. I think it's safe to say that you are also the program coordinator of African-American studies at Oglethorpe, the director of the Rich Foundation Urban Leadership Program. You are an author of articles and books, uh, often Uh, talking about the African-American experience in politics and more. And we're very, very glad to have you here, Kendra. Thanks for joining us.
0: So glad to be here this um, morning. And, yes, those things are true, but I wear another hat. I'm Associate Provost of Academic Affairs at Oglethorpe as well. Uh, So glad to be here with so many bright minds.
1: Um, j- just very quickly, because we like to help our listeners know more a bit about a bit more about new panelists. Where'd you grow up? You studied at uh, Colby College and the Ohio State University, but where'd you grow up?
0: I'm from Providence, Rhode Island, originally. So grew up there. Still have family there, and uh, now I'm I'm a new mom. I've got a 13 month old son, a Maximus, so he keeps me. Very busy. Uh, He's not quite singing um, for Broadway yet, but uh, he does sing in the morning. So (laughs) my husband and I are quite busy.
1: Uh, Well, welcome uh, to Political Rewind. We're very happy you're here. Greg, let's get right to the big news. The other shoe has dropped in terms of the uh, letters uh, that have gone out uh, from the uh, Fulton County Special Grand Jury. Letters that have said that now all 16 of the fake electors uh, that gathered uh, to create a slate to, uh, to uh, approve Donald Trump as the next president of the United States. They are all now targets and uh, face potential criminal charges. Um, it's an amazing development. We knew of, uh, over the last few days that David Schaefer and Burt Jones uh, had been sent target letters. Now we know, thanks to court filings uh, from uh, the Fulton County D.A., Fonnie Willis, that the entire slate is under some suspicion.
2: You're exactly right. Last week, we reported that that both the GOP chair, Schaefer, and and the LG nominee, uh, Bird Jones, were targets. They're both electors, and it never really made sense that that they were the only ones. So now we have confirmation from court filings that all 16 fake GOP electors Receive target letters uh, indicating that they could face criminal prosecution. It's not a normal practice, I'm told, by lawyers with, um, you know, from, from prosecutors in these types of cases, um, but it does help the public know more about where the investigation is going. And this was the clearest signal yet that this is the investigation is fast moving and it's expanding its scope, not just to, you know, the issues that we've talked about for so long, the, the, the Trump call to Brad Rappensberger, um, the efforts to directly lobby state officials to reverse the election but now it looks like it's going in, in the direction of uh, state allies georgia allies of trump who took concrete actions to help his his efforts to reverse the state's election results
1: um rick i want to also clarify one other thing uh, at, at the beginning of the week we did a, a a real-time fact check on a report that yahoo news which was the first to reveal that uh, uh, that Burt Jones and David Schaefer had gotten target letters. They'd also reported that Brandon Beach, State Senator Brandon Beach from Alpharetta, had received a target letter. He was not an elector, a fake elector, but he was a uh, involved, apparently, in organizing that slate through people in Washington and Georgia. And we can now confirm that he too was, in fact, Uh, Set a target letter that was a little unclear on our show Monday
4: Well, you know for me uh, the interesting analysis will always be What impact will this have on the election? That's all that's all I care about and the fact that you've got Burt Jones as one of the phony electors and you have to ask the question, you know, he, he was a phony elector they were trying to steal the election should that matter for a candidate running to be lieutenant governor one heartbeat away from governor? And and what I have picked up in the in the community is that Republicans are really concerned about that lieutenant governor's race and the infection this may cause in that race and the possibility that infection could spread to the rest of the ticket. And so that's why I think this Uh, electoral uh, issue is something to really look at in terms of its impact on uh, November.
1: Yeah, Alan, um, we should talk about Burt Jones. Of course, he's the Republican candidate for lieutenant governor running against Charlie Bailey. Charlie Bailey's campaign is already attacking Burt Jones uh, and calling him, uh, uh, saying he's not a patriot uh, and, and many other uh, using a, a lot of other language to really condemn him for having been involved in that effort. Um, but on the other side of it, Burt Jones has now filed a motion to have Fonnie Willis removed uh, from investigating him because she threw a fundraiser for Charlie Bailey uh, not long ago. And, and, and the Jones uh, folks say, look, that proves there's bias in what she's doing. Alan?
3: Alan? Well, I think this is an indication of the direction that we're likely to see this go in over the next couple of months between now and November. Um, That is, I think you're going to see the Democratic candidates trying to emphasize the connection between a number of the Republican candidates uh, who are running uh, in the midterm election this year and the efforts to overturn the 2020 election and thereby and indirectly to the January 6th insurrection all this is part of one big you know that we know that the efforts to overturn the election would involve both the insurrection itself but also the fake electors um... and it was being directed from washington uh... and georgia was a central target uh... in this so uh... republicans obviously are going to try to uh, reduce the uh, uh... any potential political impacts of this any fallout from this by trying to claim that it's all politically motivated uh, you know that the January 6th committee is politically motivated but also that the uh Fonnie Willis investigation here in Georgia is politically motivated um I think that's that's you know clearly they think that's the, the best message they can go with we'll see how much you know traction that gets them it depends on you know how far the investigation goes whether we see indictments whether we see trials you know all of that remains to be seen
1: kendra
0: yeah i agree i think you know something that rick said uh in terms of the proximity of this um to uh those who may have um some mud on their hands i think um where there's smoke there's fire and i don't think we can uh, we can dismiss um the trail um there have been breadcrumbs uh politically especially Um, since the insurrection directly connected to the state of Georgia, directly connected to some of our political leaders. And I I think what's at stake is this, um, if this isn't effectively addressed in particular by the Republican Party, it it proves to question uh, the gubernatorial race, which we know is very close. And so I, I think there are some things right now in terms of the leadership of the Republican Party that has to um, uh, yield uh, to this investigation. At the same time, I think uh, we have to be careful, because when you look at Fannie Ellis, uh, she's indicting a lot of people in a lot of different areas. So I don't think this is um, solely uh, politically motivated or solely a political effort to um, uh, bring, if you will, some spoils to the Democratic Party right now.
1: Greg?
2: Yeah, the professor's right. She's subpoenaing a lot of people. This is a, a broad investigation. We have folks who, like, the, like Speaker David Ralston, um, who who are not being implicated in any sort of criminal activity, obviously. Right, Governor Kemp is going to um, provide a videotape testimony tomorrow, actually. Um, but this is different because these are target letters indicating that they could, you know, that these 16 electors could face criminal prosecution. And it, and as as Rick Dent said, this could really transform a, a sleepy race. I mean, most Georgians probably couldn't tell you. Uh, what a lieutenant governor does, right? Because um, it's not like a vice president or a vice governor in that sense. Um, and and up until now, these other down-ticket races have very polarizing factors that are helping uh, motivate voters. Secretary of State, it's about election uh, administration. The uh, AG's race is is going to hinge, perhaps partly at least, on the abortion ruling. Lieutenant governor hasn't had that issue. Now it does. We'll see if it actually plays into November. But I can tell you that Charlie Bailey, in his victory speech when he won the runoff, one of the first things he mentioned, you know, long before this target letter came out, was, "Hey, my opponent is a fake elector." So this is something he is going to hammer home all the way through. And Bert Jones is in a unique position because, unlike some of the other electors who were trying to quash their, their uh, subpoenas, he's saying he's happy to testify. He just won't testify if Bonnie Willis is the uh, prosecutor because he believes she has a conflict of interest because of that fundraiser she hosted for Charlie Bailey.
1: You know, Alan, um, the, uh, the response from the lawyers for at least 11 of, of these 16, I think uh, we, the AJC talked to, to attorneys for 11 of them. Uh, they've really, it's interesting, they've extended the notion that this is a potentially legitimate uh, group of electors. They call them in their filing, quote, nominee electors. I mean, Alan, it's really uh, astonishing to me that they should choose that language over and over again as if there is any reason to believe these are legitimate electors. I get it. Their goal is to defend their clients, but they're falling right into that trap that has already been sprung by the special yeah. grand jury. <laughs> exactly. I mean, there, there's no such thing.
3: Um, and it's, you know, it's. I mean, that, that that's where I think uh, this effort to uh, try, try to quash this, the subpoenas is likely to, to fail uh, because it's very clear that what they were doing was illegal. Um, uh, at least it seems like there's a high probability that they were engaging in illegal activity. Um, we have, you know, we've never seen anything like this in, the, in modern American history. I don't know what, you have to go back to 1876, I think, to see something resembling this... Uh, Disputed electors. Um, You know, uh, what they were trying to do essentially was to assist the president, former President Trump, and his lawyers in Washington, John Eastman and the others, in this effort to overturn the results of a free and democratic election um, by choosing these fake slates of fake electors to try to replace. The legitimately elected uh elect, the legitimate electors um and you know in in the hopes that something was going to happen in washington on january 6th that would make it possible for those electors to replace the biden electors
1: so um republicans of course are going to continue to attack this process as being a uh-huh. uh, partisan an effort to uh, uh, give Democrats an ed- a leg up in the elections. But, Rick, I was particularly struck by the comments of somebody that you, Greg and I particularly, have worked with often at, or have known for a long time, Randy Evans, very prominent Republican attorney in Georgia, used to be Newt Gingrich's attorney. Trump uh, named him ambassador to Luxembourg. So so he's got real stature in the Republican Party. And I was struck by Randy Evans' remarks when he uh, learned about these uh, target letters. He said, you know, I had been really interested in seeing how this unfolded. I really cared about what they might find until these target letters came out. Now I see it's a partisan witch hunt. He didn't really necessarily use those words. So what Randy Evans was saying, Rick, is, you know, I was really interested in this investigation until it started to show uh, uh, fruit that might uh, mean something in terms of moving forward. Oh, Oh, yeah, exactly. And, you know, also remember
4: because these Republicans knew what they were doing, there were other Republicans who had been approached to be electors, and said, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, I'm not getting anywhere near that. So it's not like these folks were blind to what they were doing. They knew exactly what they were doing. One other thing about the impact that Randy and others are concerned about in terms of the election, and you've heard me beat this horse, this dead horse, this state is split so close that we're talking inches, not feet, not miles. And so... Three or four votes in every precinct changing can throw this election one way or the other. That's how close the state is.
1: Kendra, we also, meanwhile, have learned that Lindsey Graham and Fonnie Willis have come to an agreement. He's trying to duck the subpoena she issued to him. Uh, and he was in, initially uh, uh, going to move to South Carolina federal court to try to uh, get the subpoena quashed after losing once in a Fulton County court uh, now he's coming back uh, to uh, uh, Georgia and will have his case heard either in a federal court or a Fulton County uh, Superior Court. So Lindsey Graham is still uh, potentially going to end up having to testify uh, uh, too.
0: Yeah, and I, I think he ought to. Uh, again, I, I, I think if we if we compare this to something that's a little bit um, of a stretch, but just follow my logic. When we had the Atlanta. Um, You know, um, education situation years ago, 2015, when we had that investigator with all those Atlanta educators who engaged in test fraud. We didn't, um, we didn't leave any stones unturned, uh, to, to subpoena people, to prosecute people, and people actually served jail time. I, I, think this is a different analogy, a different situation, but the same thing applies in the sense of people were aware of what they were doing. Um, and if this wasn't, uh, exposed, um, the entire, um, electoral process could have in our state Uh, shifted um, outcomes. And so I I think that uh, Lindsey Graham, I I, I read um, and I listened to some of what he said in terms of initially trying to fight this, but I do think um, that he ought to um, testify. And I think based upon what he says, um, it's going to reveal other facts. And I think there could be other people that maybe served uh, subpoenas as well. And so I think if we do it for one, we ought to do it for the other. Are the stakes Um, equally high? Absolutely, Um, especially given this upcoming election.
1: Uh, Finally, Greg, before our break, uh, we also know Jody Heiss has been subpoenaed. He was the leader of uh, the effort to uh, declare that Georgia's election had been fraudulent. And when it went to uh, the House on January 6, he led the effort to have Georgia's electors rejected. Didn't work out. And uh, Heist, too, is fighting the subpoena to testify.
2: Yeah, I think when the book is closed on this, we'll see a lot of a lot of folks whose name we haven't mentioned yet have also been subpoenaed to testify. What we know right now is just either things that are, happen to be leaked to the media or um, are disclosed in court filings or, or, or open records requests. Um, but, you know, the Heist uh, subpoena is really interesting because, again, we don't have any— um, evidence that he's uh, received a target letter or anything like that, like the uh, electors have, the fake electors have. But at the same time, he was Brad Raffensperger's opponent. He was one of the chief promoters of election fraud lies, and he voted in uh, on January 6th or even 7th, I can't remember if it was after midnight, um, mm-hmm. to block the Electoral College confirmation. So he played a, a, a real role in, in promoting uh, election fraud lies in Georgia.
1: Okay, um, this is a story that is going to unfold for months to come, and obviously it's one of the most important stories uh, for us to follow, and we will continue doing that. Why don't we get a break out of the way and uh, come back, and let's talk about some of the campaigns, uh, particularly the gubernatorial race between uh, Stacey Evans and uh, Brian Kemp. We'll also talk about Hershel Walker, Raphael Warnock, and more. Uh, You're listening to Political Rewind. Before we get back to the panel, I have been urged by Natalie Mendenhall and Chase McGee to please promote the Political Rewind newsletter. It comes out later this afternoon. You can get it in your email inbox. If you're not subscribing, do it at gpb.org newsletters. Um, my lead story today uh, in the newsletter is about um, uh, my wife and I who are passionate followers of the Tour de France, and I write about that. Um, now, what does that have to do with politics? Uh, more than you might think, subscribe and you can find out. Um, we're joined today by Kendra king Moman, a brand new panelist, a political science professor and um, uh, uh, also a, uh, a, a lead, an administrative leader, a provost, an associate provost at Oglethorpe University, Alan Abramowitz, our friend, the emeritus professor of political science at Emory University, Rick Dent, and Greg Bluestein also here. So Rick, you're the one who follows these at the ad war so carefully. And uh, I want to start by talking about the ad war between that we're seeing unfold between Abrams and Kemp right now. Uh, a major theme of the Kemp campaign has been that Stacey Abrams is soft on crime, she's anti-police. And they've been running an ad. We'll listen to the audio of it right now that tries to drive that message home. Here it is.
0: So do you support defunding the police? I support the vision that is underlying that pride. So yes to some defunding. We have to reallocate resources, so yes. Stacey Abrams supported defunding the police. Abrams is on the board of a group pushing to defund and even abolish police. They pay Abrams, and she voted to bankroll anti-police groups. Stacey Abrams is dangerous on crime.
1: So it's likely you've seen that commercial, but just so you know, that's a CNN anchor asking her these questions and kind of leading her down the path of saying, yes, she supports defunding uh, the police, Rick. It's what happens when you're, you know, talking spontaneously. She tried a more nuanced message, but the anchor finally pushed her to say, so yes, and Mm -hmm. that's where this ad gets all of its momentum. Uh,
4: Yes. You're absolutely right that the entire campaign, not just this exchange, the entire campaign from the Republican side is going to be, you cannot trust this radical African-American woman. She is not one of us. She is not from here. She's too liberal, and you cannot take the chance. Now, what concerns me about this exchange, it started on June 22nd. That's the first ad. On June 23rd, the Abrams side made a calculated decision. They counterattacked Kemp. Their response was Kemp and the gun carry law. Not until the 15th of July, according to Bluestein's article, did Abrams do an ad straight to camera denying that. 23 days went by without her denying that ad. And I think that's a tactical mistake. I can't believe they did it. And uh, it, you, you know, we come from uh, the James Carville School of Politics. Speed kills. You, you, you deny and then you attack. And she didn't do it. And I don't understand why.
1: Let's talk in a minute about that. That sounds like a nuanced argument. It's not, it's essential. Uh, to be able to respond to attacks like that quickly before we talk about it with the the rest of you all let's listen to this direct to camera ad that the abrams folks finally uh, uh recorded produced and released here's Stacey abrams telling us about brian kemp
0: brian kemp wants you to be afraid of me why because he thinks it will distract georgians from the truth As a legislator, I worked with the GBI, with the Sheriff's Association, and with our police departments to ensure that they had the resources, the training, and the support they needed. I will support law enforcement, and law enforcement agrees. Brian Kemp wants to bash me for my honesty and lie about my record, but my parents taught me to tell the whole story, and that's the truth.
1: So... Kendra, let's talk about the substance of the ad and then go back to the point uh, that Rick is making. Brian Kemp wants you to be afraid of me. There is essentially what Rick said at the very beginning of this segment, that she is uh, acknowledging that the Kemp campaign wants Georgians to see her as a threat, possibly because she's an African-American woman, uh, because she's too radical for Georgia. Kendra?
0: yeah I totally agree. I think this is a clear and classic example of radicalized racialism race racism that's radicalized i mean you 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 um you know you engage in tactics that that attack um one, one's race or gender in this particular uh context. um you know uh, Stacey Abrams uh, race is being attacked. people want you to be afraid of her, and I think this has happened time and time and time again as opposed to really looking at an issue-centric uh, perspective. But again, this election is tight. Um, this is a rematch election, um, and the stakes are very high in terms of who gains control of the governorship in the state of Georgia. But I think that um, I wasn't surprised by the, the, the attack ad. Um, in some ways, it's disappointing, uh, being a Black woman who studies African-American politics, because, again, We want to talk about um, the South being progressive. Well, the South isn't really progressive when you look at the political history of the last 60 years. Um, And and then I know we'll pause and talk about um, perhaps the delay in response. Um, But I I will say this. I think that sometimes in efforts to be uh, politically earnest and transparent, we miss opportunities to attack, which can cause us to lose percentage points.
1: Greg, um, that all that said, Stacey Abrams did say that at the end of that, inter- or at least within the body of that interview. I, I have not watched the whole thing. I don't know if it goes on. Um, she did okay. make that statement, and it's another example of Stacey Abrams who can talk with such intelligence about such a wide range of issues, um, but when you take a snippet out of what she says, uh, you can ho- use it against her. We've seen that ever since her 2018 campaign for governor.
2: Yeah, we see that. We definitely saw that in 2018 where she had gaffes um, that were immediately turned against her, even gaffes. Where she corrected the gaffe in mid-sentence, and still, you know, that snippet was used to damage her. This is a challenge. You're you're right. The CNN interview. She went on to talk about the importance of the Black Lives Matter movement. This was in 2020, uh, amid uh, protests about racial injustice, Uh, and she went on to speak about that. She told the Albany Herald um, just over the weekend that what Brian. This is a quote. What Brian Kemp's campaign does is they take snippets of what's said and edit them to appear that something that was said that fits their narrative that's the end of the quote but her challenge is that she did say that right um and you know this reminds me of uh, david Perdue bashed john ossoff repeatedly saying that he supported defunding the police when there was no evidence whatsoever he never said anything of that remark so we could say flat out it was a lie it was a falsehood. in this case Republicans can go back to this clip as much as they want. you know it doesn't matter that the media is saying that that, that you know she elaborated, she's clarified um, and her challenge, as Rick said, was countering this message now in the media because Brian Kemp has put millions of dollars behind it. What she has done in the intermediary though. Um, before she did that direct uh, camera ad, where she also rolled out a policy proposal that uh, announced she would support $11,000 pay raises, or be close to $13,000 for some officers, uh, for certain law enforcement officers, to, sh- to show that she actually wants to put more resources into law enforcement. And that was part of a, a broader package. Um, but again, when you're seeing ads like this every other time you turn on the TV, and when it's a constant message, not just from Governor Kemp's campaign, but also Republican allies. It's hard for even a well-resourced campaign, an immensely well-resourced campaign like Stacey Abrams, to overcome.
3: Yeah, I, I think it it clearly was a mistake. Um, and this is this is a good example of something, um, you know, that Greg has mentioned uh, or in the past, which is that um, Stacey. W- w- one of the things Stacey Abrams does. Uh, that can sometimes get her into trouble is that she speaks off the cuff. Um, She sometimes, you know, she's spontaneous. That's something you will never accuse Brian Kemp of doing. He is never spontaneous. Um, (laughs) You know, his answers are always scripted. He gives the same answer every time. You know, they're just trying to avoid any soundbite that could get him into trouble. Um, Stacey Abrams, you know sometimes gets into a, into trouble by speaking spontaneously um, so that's a good example and and I think that Rick's absolutely right. they should have you know they should minimize the damage by responding to it immediately and not waiting so long. Um, that said, I think we have to keep in mind that these ad campaigns on both sides are aimed at a very small sliver of the electorate that might be persuadable that the overwhelming majority of voters in this state are, you know, lined up on one side or the other here when it comes to Abrams versus Kemp or Warnock versus Walker. There's a small group that might be movable, but, but given the tightness of these races, that small group could very well be critical in determining the outcome. And, and that's who these ads are, 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 are I think, really, really aimed at. I, I
4: can tell you this. The, on the, from the Republican side, those ads have run 3,100 times, okay, 3,100 times since June 22nd. Now, Greg is correct. She announced some policy stuff. Um, She's given interviews, talked to the AJC to correct it. Has he mentioned Savannah? But guess what, folks? If it ain't on TV, it don't count. Nobody sees it, nobody reads it, nobody knows. All that counts is that advertising <laughs> message. 3,100 times that ad has been seen, and she needed to correct that on the air.
0: <laughs> Kendra? That's yeah, one, thing I do, one thing I do want to point out, again, not to justify the, the error, in fact, uh, perhaps, But I also think we have to consider the constituency that Stacey Abrams is appealing to. Again, she's appealing to a younger millennial, more socially active and conscious um, electorate as well. And so I, I, I do wonder if there was some political play going on with that silence to give a nod to some of these younger uh, voters to say, hey, um, I'm, I'm a little tongue-in-cheek here. Um, I'm not fully saying defund the police, quote, unquote, but I am leaning in towards some of the concerns that have arisen over the last several years related to uh, uh, some of the challenges with, with law enforcement. So I, I don't want us to to ignore that fact there. Um, in terms of some of what, has, um, what, have, what could have been um, some of the political um, motivation there. But, but it takes me back to a quote from, from Dr. King from years and years ago when he talked about silence being betrayal. Um, I, I think the silence of those 20-something days, Rick, that you talked about without a, a media address of this, in some respects, um, could potentially betray um, her campaign.
1: Okay, so Greg. Uh, first of all, now that Rick has told us that what you write in the newspaper has <laughs> no meaning
2: whatsoever, <laughs> uh, really, what everything we do has no meaning.
1: <laughs> let's let's I, I let's I want to pick up on what Kendra uh, just said because it's important. Uh, in fact, I just got a kind of an angry email from a listener who says, "Why are you misrepresenting what Stacy Abrams said?" Uh, she said she's for some, as Kendra just said, defunding of the police. You could, you're suggesting she's for complete uh, uh, defunding. Well, we're not really suggesting that. But, 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 Greg, what I find interesting about this is we did a show yesterday about the new mental health law in Georgia and the new 988 number. Uh, and it, the Republican administration—look, I mean, Brian Kemp signed this into law. It was David Ralston's big bill. And one of the things— that the new effort is about is uh, being able to redirect some calls mm-hmm. from police agencies to, say, social service agencies who can more properly deal with issues. Uh, to an extent, that's the, what, what Stacey Abrams was trying to talk about, and yet she got caught up in this defund the police uh, effort.
2: Yeah, and look, that was a bipartisan um, effort we're uh, really in the first real major phase of this. This is going to continue to be a priority of Speaker Ralston, of, of whoever the next governor is, because both Governor Kemp and Stacey Abrams have both said this will be a continuing priority. Um, but you're right. I mean, what Stacey Abrams, a part of her, she has a pretty broad – I mean, a lot, a lot of it echoes what she uh, talked about in 2018, but there's some new elements that include uh, increased police training, um, uh, more money for community supervision officers that could help. Um, that could help on a community level uh, fight not just crime but also recidivism. Um, and then and then raises for corrections officers, which are uh, suffering from very high turnover turnover rates, very low morale. And as we saw in another bit of news <laughs> that we won't, probably won't have time to get too much into, um, is, are under federal scrutiny from Senator John Ossoff's uh, subcommittee up in the in Washington. Um, so that's part of their package. But look, you know, this is really delicate uh, a navigating act for Stacey Abrams because um, uh, Professor uh, used the word uh, betrayal earlier. Well, there are some liberal activists who felt betrayed that Stacey Abrams was offering raises to police officers any more resources, right? And there is a social media, Backlash. Um, she had to go to an outlet called The Root, which caters to a black audience to talk about, you know, to give more context about her um, her criminal justice priorities. So mm. she is in a very delicate act here when she talks about uh, criminal justice packages without trying to get hit by the Republicans and hit by the left.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ellen?
3: A- absolutely. Um, I-, I think this is, illustrates the problem that Stacey Abram has. Because uh, of the fact that she needs to both motivate her base and make sure that she gets that strong turnout uh, from um, uh, African American voters, from other uh, non white voters, from younger voters, and make sure that uh, these voters understand that she's on their side while at the same time not alienating these swing voters. I think the mistake is using that phrase, defund the police. You can talk about uh, reallocating resources, you can talk about priorities. There are a lot of ways you can talk about this. But I want to say something else, which is that Brian Kemp has the same problem. Um, He has the problem of trying to, on the one hand, motivate his base and at the same time try to avoid taking positions that are so extreme on issues like gun rights, on issues like abortion, that he risks alienating some of these moderate swing voters. and that's why I think the Abrams campaign is hitting Kemp very hard on the, on the issue of guns and gun violence, and is uh, running this. Ad, has run a couple of ads that I've seen that I think are pretty effective. Uh, one featuring a, I think it's a nurse who's talking about the, uh, the impact of gun violence, uh, the fact that uh, gun violence is the leading cause of death among young people in the state of Georgia. That's a pretty remarkable fact. And then the law enforcement officer who's talking about Who's criticizing this uh, permitless carry bill? Um, so, so I think you know it, it goes, it, it works in both directions, and certainly, both campaigns have plenty of resources and ammunition to throw uh, into this, and we're going to spend the next couple of months, you know, seeing being barraged uh, by by these ads. Mm.
1: Uh, Kendra, i got to get to a break, but but for just a moment before I do, I'd love to get your thoughts on what um, we've just been talking about. That's this balance that Stacey Abrams is going to have to make. Um, yes, I support increased uh, 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 pay for police. Uh, I also understand that we've got to have more social services. I mean, so she's got to be careful about how that plays to white audiences and then on the other side, African-American audiences. Your thoughts?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's a tough position to be in. Um, you know, she, she's sandwiched in between these issues that other candidates don't have to consider. Um, and so some in some respects, you know, it's it's the burden of being a, a, a black woman running for office where you have to be all things to all people in order to secure the vote. At the same time, uh, Stacey Abrams and others who run for elective office, we've seen this years and, for years and years, sometimes you can still be too black, too strong, and you won't appeal to the moderate white voter. You won't appeal to the conservative who has issues with, let's say, a Brian Kemp, but is going to be loyal to partisan poli- party politics. So I think she's between a rock and a hard place right now.
1: All right. um, We do have to get to Rick. Before I get to a break, I do have to share one quick story. You talk about the importance of rapid response. Uh, and that you felt it was lacking in, the, in, in this uh, particular case. Um, it reminds me of an episode when uh, Zell Miller was uh, running for governor and James Carvel and Paul Begala were his consultants. And a reporter at Channel 2 News, uh, Mark Winnie, had a story, an, a hot story, a controversy about Brian Kemp, ran over with a camera to see Carvel at the campaign headquarters. And because the campaign knew that Winnie was coming, They sent Paul Begala to Channel 2 to storm the general manager's office to complain that the story was prejudiced against uh, Zell Miller. Um, It was a coordinated action, and boy, you can't ask for a more rapid response than that kind of thing, Rick. No, and and, you know, that kind of came out of the Clinton campaign. That was the phrase, feed kills,
4: and that was driven into our heads uh, during the entire Zell Miller campaign.
1: Okay, <laughs> just a little bit of history. Um, we'll be back with more in just a minute. Greg Blustein, let's turn to the Senate race. It looks like we've got a reboot of the Herschel Walker campaign after months of real problematic uh, issues that uh, the campaign has dealt with. They brought in Jim Blake, who we all know is a uh, well Uh, thought of, Republican uh, consultant. Uh, They've got some help from uh, the national uh, uh, Republican Senate campaign committee. And it looks like they're trying to head in a new direction, yes?
2: Yeah, we'll see if it's a reboot, a reset, an attempt at a revamp. We'll see. You know, it's early yet. But um, look, you know, after he won the primary, coasted to victory, he wasn't truly challenged. He never even mentioned his opponents in the Republican primary, never even mentioned their names. Uh, Now, Herschel Walker has a real challenge. He has a well-funded Democratic incumbent um, who is accessible to the media, who's out there in the U.S. Capitol every day or every day, every day they're in session uh, and has campaign events. And, you know, since the primary, Herschel Walker has been under wraps. He's only had uh, a few uh, closely, tightly controlled events, private gatherings and bizarrely enough um several appearances that barred the media even when we we at the ajc and our friends at wabe tried to access turned away um you know there is a a a campaign overhaul there's a lot of new staffers including ship lake including some veterans on uh, battle-tested uh senate campaigns and uh i can tell you the nrsc was down here last week for a series of meetings um, where uh, I think the message was driven home to have a more open, accessible campaign. Again, we'll see if that lasts. But one of my colleagues was down in Ocala, Georgia yesterday, about three hours um, south of Atlanta, rural Georgia, to to attend one of Herschel Walker's first events um, since this this attempted at a revamp, and she saw a a tighter message, a sharper message from him. It wasn't rambling. It wasn't an hour-long spiel that went into unchartered territory. It was uh, (laughs) mostly about um, Senator Warnock and Joe Biden.
1: Yeah, apparently they, uh, according to what I read from, Sh- I guess, Shannon McCaffrey, maybe from you, Greg, uh, they've got a, a plan to roll out a number of different issues that he can speak to. Down there, they were talking about issues that rural Georgians are facing. Uh, Alan, uh, nevertheless, the Warnock campaign continues to take advantage of missteps, lies, uh, and and other issues that have plagued mm-hmm. Herschel Walker ever since he uh, announced he was running. Let's listen To audio from a a new campaign, a new ad, I think it's new, uh, that uh, features a veteran uh, responding to Herschel Walker. Here it is. I was shot four times. I earned a Purple Heart and I'm still suffering from PTSD. Herschel Walker said he has this great program to help us, but he lied to us.
0: It isn't actually a charity at all accused of taking advantage of military veterans.
1: Prosecutors said this group misdiagnosed veterans and pushed them into mental health facilities just to collect their insurance money. I can't trust Herschel Walker. He made a fortune and veterans like me paid the price. Alan, these, this series of spots, Herschel Walker lied, Herschel Walker uh, uh, said something absurd, whatever, these are powerful commercials that may or may not have any impact on a guy who's as beloved as Herschel Walker is by Georgians.
3: Well, he's, you know, beloved for his football exploits.
1: Um,
3: and, and those were quite a long time ago.
1: Um, well, yes, I but think, nevertheless, <laughs> he's a hero in this state, right?
3: Yeah, but if you, you know, uh, that's only going to get you so far, I think, when you're running for elected office. Um, so, of course, you know, he has strong appeal to uh, the Republican base after being, uh, you know, pushed into this race by Donald Trump, endorsed by Donald Trump. I think with all this talk about a reboot, and and certainly, uh, you know, uh, things couldn't go any worse than they have been going for the last few weeks. Um, fundamental problem that they have uh, uh, with this campaign is the candidate okay Um, you're stuck with Herschel Walker as your candidate with all of his problems with all of his weaknesses um, and there's just so much there Um, there's so much baggage um, with his, his his false claims about his academic record his claims about working with the military and his claims about working in law enforcement his claims about this program to help veterans, um, all of these things, you know. Um, and then at some point, you know, he's presumably going to have to debate, um, and he won't be able to stick with a scripted message. Well, maybe he will try to do that in a debate. We've seen candidates try to do that, but, you know, that's difficult. So uh, I still think that they've got a continuing problem here, um, and, you know, the Warner campaign uh, and the Democratic um, Senate committee was going to pour millions and millions of dollars uh, into this effort and reinforce that, those negative, negative messages. Um, and it seems to be working to some extent.
4: Uh, this is going to surprise some folks, but here's the unfairness of the discussion about Herschel Walker and he's not talking about issues. What issues are Senator Warnock talking about? Because I've been looking at his television advertising a million dollars a week. He's not talking about issues. He's talking about Herschel Walker. So let's don't fall for a double standard here because we think maybe Herschel Walker is not as smart as a candidate for the United States Senate should be. And every time he opens his mouth, we say, where's your plan? What's your plan? What are you going to do for farmers? What are you going to do for inflation? What are you going to do about gas prices? And Warnock is spending a million dollars a week talking about nothing but Herschel's mistakes.
1: Right, That's, not Rick, quite he, That's not quite true. That's <laughs> not quite true, true. Hasn't, hasn't he been pushing lowering the cost of insulin yes. in, in his role in the Senate? Has he been talking about the federal tax? Uh, on gasoline being uh, suspended, hasn't he been talking about any num- pushing back on Joe Biden in a number of cases? I'm not defending Raphael Warnock, but he may not be doing it in his commercials, is what you're saying.
4: That's right. <laughs> uh, the, yes. the majority of that money is going after Herschel Walker personally. Well, okay. and here's
0: the okay. thing, though. I think Herschel Walker has made himself um, go after Bull. I mean, mm-hmm. some of the things that he has said um, are, are beyond laughable, and I'm not, I'm not uh, disputing intelligence here. I think what we're seeing right now is a politics of personality campaign going on. But for us as, as voters to ignore some of the things that have been said um, by the Walker campaign, I think is irresponsible. And I think where we have to uh, put pressure on both parties is that we move from politics of personality to, hey, we need to fully and really discuss these valence issues that are impacting all Georgians, whether they're in a rural context or in an urban context.
1: Uh, Greg, as we run out of time, I take Rick's point, uh, but the television commercials are not issue-oriented commercials anymore. Anyway, we see nothing. We see millions spent on attack ads on both sides in every campaign virtually.
2: Yeah, and look, Warnock's campaign, his TV ad strategy, clearly right now uh, it might not stay this way, but it's clearly focused on undermining Herschel Walker's credibility, right? Um his 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 adsmiths got widespread acclaim in the last cycle for their you know puffy vest ads and the you know the, uh, I eat my pizza with a fork ads all those ads that help personalize Herschel uh, Rafael Warnock um, and now we'll see them put to the test in, a, in another contest but um, both of you are right Bill he's talked a lot about issues on the campaign trail Rick you know he hasn't focused his ad money on it and there's that fundamental. Um, divide there about what voters are seeing and what like political junkies are seeing.
1: I am completely out of time for today's show and I really wish we weren't because I'd love to keep going with this panel. Uh, Kendra uh, king Moman, thank you so much for joining us from Oglethorpe University. You thank have you. to come back. I, I hope you will. Alan Abramowitz, you know we always love having you On the show. Greg Bluestein, thank you. And Rick Dent, one of the things we love about you is you are always the contrarian. And that makes you really a valuable part of Political Rewind. We are out of time uh, for today's show. Um, We're back with another show tomorrow. In the meantime, first of all, let me uh, thank Victoria Evans Cash, Jay Cook, Natalie Mendenhall, Chase McGee for the work they do on bringing you the show every day. I'm just the guy who sits here and talks for a living. They're the ones who do the really hard work. Political Rewind Newsletter Day, subscribe gpb.org newsletters. In the meantime, take care, stay healthy. Bye everybody.